podcast this is jay and uh we have with us we have the distinct honor of not anarchy ball or anarchy ball ball is joining us today on the show how are you man i'm good can you hear me yeah we hear you great oh good good so yeah uh i guess uh we wanted to talk about um federal hill i guess and uh boogaloo boys stuff like that yeah, I do. I, I want to get into that because I'm not too familiar with the uh, Baltimore riots that took place. I'm 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 guessing this is something to do with the Civil War. Like I think it might be overshadowed by the New York riots where they brought in the army and all that stuff. That's more popularized in culture. But I've never heard of the uh, the Baltimore riots. Is it the 1861 riots? I believe so. Yeah, the uh, the Baltimore riots were one of the first conflicts uh, right after. I think the attack of Fort Sumter or right before it. So uh, this was uh, the Copperhead Democrats, right? So uh, if anybody knows anything about the geography of the Civil War, uh, they know that Maryland is right there uh, on the Mason-Dixon line. So parts of Maryland were free and parts of them had slaves. And so there were a lot of people sympathetic with the South as well as just unsympathetic towards the the northerners and the northerner aggression because it wasn't just about slavery it was a a lot about federalism and uh the fact that people just wanted to be left alone the federal government did not want to do that so what happened as a result they rolled out guns and to displace people well what happened at first was uh they had to dismount a bunch of uh northern troops who were uh on their way down to to D.C., right, because uh, D.C. is so- uh, south of uh, Baltimore, and so they had to roll through there on trains to get to D.C., and in the process of doing so, they had to dismount the train, everybody had to march in the streets and then get to another train car. Now, <clears throat> they were not popular, so uh, the southern, uh, the, uh, the what they call it, the Copperhead Democrats, all flooded the streets and just started pelting them with rocks and started uh, hitting the uh, Union soldiers as they were marching through the streets because they had to uh, get onto a different train. And in doing so, uh, well, uh, they got fired on by Union troops, and it was a big melee right right down the streets of uh, Baltimore, right on Pratt Street. And uh, if you've been to Baltimore before, Pratt Street goes right in front of the Inner Harbor, and as they're marching down there, they were just getting pelted with bricks and and whatnot, and the uh, the uh, the commanders were a lot more, uh, I guess, 
sensitive to the fact that uh, these people hated them, so they didn't want to, you know, massacre anybody. They were instructed not to shoot unarmed people, not to shoot into the crowd wildly, but to aim at every shot. So we don't we don't really get those same benefits today when uh, the police have rubber bullets. You know, they just pump round after round into unarmed people, people filming, they don't care. So uh, it, was, it was all about the fact that uh, the North was marching in headlong into war. And so days after this incident had occurred and the uh, federal troops had all vacated, there was a contingent of about a thousand men who rushed into the city during the nighttime and set up shop at the top of Federal Hill, which is a pretty big hill overlooking all of Baltimore. It's on the south side of uh, the Baltimore area. And it's, uh, they've set up cannons aiming at the, uh, the downtown area. So if there were any more riots as they were trying to move the, the, the troops through Baltimore, they would just flatten the downtown area and destroy the economy and destroy everybody's lives in Baltimore and their homes and everything else. Well, so they made it pretty pretty clear that they were not just at war with you know the southern states; they were at war with anybody who opposed them. Do you see any correlation with uh, the way the police are acting today? Like, I mean, like you, you of course you said the use of rubber bullets and things that are you know going on today. Do you see any of that? Uh, you know, th- th- does it feel like history is repeating itself? And I wanted to ask you, have you seen, like, you were driving around Baltimore, I think you were working at the same time, and you were taking video of uh, the riot, uh, not the rioters, but the, there was before any kind of riot, there were people gathering and protesting. How, how is the mood in Baltimore? Is it worse than when uh, the cops killed Freddie Gray? Uh, is it uh, more tame? Is it more relaxed? Stuff like that. Well, you haven't heard any like news coming out of Baltimore because the Baltimore police sort of learned their lesson during the riots of Freddie Gray. They they you know realized when you take provocative actions against the crowd, the crowd doesn't have uh, any self policing capability. So the criminal elements in the in the mob take over and start burning shit. So. They did something different than a lot of the other police departments did. They didn't just open up on them. So the police in Baltimore had actually learned their lesson from these other riots. And unlike, you know, the rest of, you know, New York and Chicago and and Richmond and a lot of these places, even in, uh, I think, Little Rock, the police are acting way more provocative than they are in Baltimore. Well, anyways, uh, Baltimore is very much restrained. Uh, the protesters here... I went to the Capitol, or not the Capitol, but the City Hall, and took a bunch of uh, uh, Instagram videos from the uh, same day. And yeah, there was a lot of people upset, a lot of people upset at Baltimore cops. We have some of the most corrupt police in the in the country, but at least they learned their lesson from the Freddie Gray riots. Do not take provocative actions on a mob, because then a mob, you know, the worst parts of the mob always take over. And apparently... In, in more than one city around America, they haven't learned that lesson. And what they want to do is they want to use pain to punish these people for coming out and daring to speak out against the police. Pain compliance. That's actually um, uh, part of the Supreme Court decision. They said that, yes, cops can use pain compliance on suspects, which is just torture. I mean, there's no, there's no other way to put it. <laughs> right. Jesus. 
such like an Orwellian way of putting it. Pain <laughs> compliance. Pain compliance. God damn it. Yeah, and you pay like for that service. Marathon man stuff. Yeah, it is, yeah. man. Right. So, I mean, in, in most of the parts of the country, they're, they're inches away from civil war because the police unions basically run the entire country. And they are the gang occupying American streets. And really, what you start to see is, is as these, uh, you've heard of the blue flu? These uh, cops are quitting and, and not showing up to work and just not doing oh, their yeah. jobs. Oh, yeah, 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 sure. So, yeah, these cops are, are having the blue flu, and the city council members are directly bribing them. Like, I think it was in New York City. All the cops there got a $500 bonus for their work during COVID-19, which is kind of funny, you know. They had to go back to COVID-19 times, you know, like, that's the big progressive <laughs> thing. Yeah. So... We give them a bonus for COVID-19 so that they'll stay on the streets and beat our protesters. And, and the real reason they're doing this is because they know if the cops aren't there, the protesters go towards City Hall. That's where the mob is really angry at. And they're probably going to take those DAs and take those, uh, those judges, take those politicians out into the street and hang them where they should be. But you see, they got to keep bribing the police union and keep doing what the police union want them to so that the blue flu doesn't strike them. And the, uh, the the mobs don't end up where they should be at City Hall. And all of these people kind of support the unions, whether it be um, the police union or the educational unions for the teachers and things like that. And they can't ever get anywhere with change with them because specifically these unions kind of hold the standards and practices um, to protect these people who don't do their job properly whether they're a police officer or a teacher. And it's just kind of disgusting how they just like, yeah, yeah, support the unions, but the unions is what's causing the trouble in this particular instance, in my opinion. Oh, is yeah. that the uh, qualified immunity? Is that through the unions or how does that work? Well, that was actually through the Supreme Court. The yeah, Supreme Court Supreme ruled Court. in like, I think it was 68 when they were having oh, the riots okay. back then that uh, you there was no grounds to civilly prosecute police officers so they don't have to pay out of their own pockets for any of the brutality that they commit and that's really what a uh, uh, qualified immunity is they they are immune from any sort of civil lawsuits for the amount of damage that they do in the community so you know from that 68 decision then you see no knock raids and you see uh you know uh no warrant raids people these police just going through houses and and raiding them ripping carpet out of the floor, destroying property, and never having to pay anything, even if they don't find anything. Like, that's, if, if there's nothing to be found, they'll give them another charge, just so that there's no, uh, there's no way that the uh, defendants can actually sue and make the cops defendants, right? So uh, qualified immunity gives these cops the ability to do all sorts of things without any sort of repercussions. Like murder. <laughs> like murder, right? But I mean... The, the primary concern is, you know, you can you can place a value on a life, right? But you can certainly place, you know, a dollar figure on the property that police ruin. Yeah, there's, so, a, there's a quantifiable value on that. Exactly. And so when you when you give them uh, qual- qualified immunity, you uh, allow them to destroy as much property as you want to, right? So if you are going to take cases like. Uh, uh, asset forfeiture, right? Once once you get rid of qualified immunity, asset forfeiture goes right out the window because you could sue those cops directly for the 
amount of money that they stole from you, right? Amount of cash or property or whatever. So qualified immunity really is one of the big uh, uh, beams that, that hold up the cops as these, you know, gods among men that they consider themselves to be. Speaking of which, I wanted to get your take on this. Um, I, uh, I I saw a post the other day. It was from the Montgomery County uh, Police Department, the ones that murdered Duncan. And, uh, you know, they did some sort of uh, firearm seizure. And, of course, we, we've already talked about on this show about how draconian Maryland's gun laws are compared to the rest of the republic. But, first of all, I want to thank you for keeping the message alive. Angel over here has done the same, consistently tweeting out the, the, the GoFundMe for Duncan, you know, the Justice for Duncan Lemp page. And it kind of pisses me off that Duncan's not getting the same attention as the rest of the people that are being murdered by the police. I understand Breonna Taylor was slightly different because they, these fuckers had the wrong house to begin with. But it seems they had that, somebody in custody. Right. Even Breonna Taylor, even Breonna Taylor's not getting the same amount of attention. And you have to look at it from the, the media's perspective, because what they want to do when they, they bring these cases of police brutality to light is they want to divide the country. So, you know, uh, a guy like uh, Ford, uh, Floyd, he's going to he's going to, you know, he's going to divide people because of his record. Right. So they, they murder him on camera, but they don't get the support of 100 percent of the country when people find out that this guy's got a criminal record and he was accused of uh uh, you know, or convicted of robbing somebody, uh, robbing a pregnant woman at gunpoint. Now, the interesting thing about that is the George Floyd robbery was arrest, an arrest based off of the testimony of a cop who also is in jail for murder right now. Jesus. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. Irony. <laughs> yeah, this is in Houston. The guy uh, killed... Uh, Regina, her name's not Tuttle, but his name was Tuttle. There was a married couple in Houston a couple of years ago, I believe. They went in there, guns blazing, killed them both, and then said, uh, I think there was no no uh, weapon found on the scene, so one of the sh cops who was in the raid shot another one of the cops. But the police union got on TV, and the police chief, and they blamed all, all of this... Uh, uh, the injuries by these cops on uh, on uh, uh, hatred for cops online. And so, you know, it turns out that, you know, they murdered them and they fabricated evidence. But that's okay because, you know, it was a cop and we don't need to talk about this too much. I mean, it hasn't gotten too much play. But they, they did end up sending the, the main investigator to jail because he just fabricated the uh, evidence to get the raid in the first place. No knock raid, of course. Now, all of his cases were under review at that point, including George Floyd's case. So we don't know if that actually happened with the, uh, um, the gun to the pregnant woman's belly or not. That's just what the cop who you know, got convicted of murder for lying about other people has said. <laughs> uh, Interesting. Interesting. And, and, and of course, the court's always going to go with what the cop says. Oh, yeah. Like 100% of the time. They always back their own. Well, not in this case, obviously. <laughs> well, yeah, we got one win. One win out of God only knows how many losses that the people right, have taken, right. all the innocent people that they've racked up. I mean, their body count is high. Um, let me ask you this. 
do you think that um, you know this all this talk about police reform? Yeah, I think it's uh, a load of I bullshit. I don't know what's true and what's not, but it's really endemic. Like everybody talks about systematic racism, we need to look at the systematic destruction of justice by the police force. I mean, look, George Floyd was only up in Minneapolis because he lost his job because he had a record, right? Yeah. So he 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 was there because of police corruption. And he was killed because of police corruption. And the whole thing, you know, comes back to the, the, the same thing over and over again. This is a monopoly on violence. Right. And unfortunately, everyone's going to have to start asking themselves, at what point am I willing to kill a cop? Right. That's a very important question that nobody really thinks of. But as it becomes clearer and clearer that we have two rival gangs on the streets right now, the progressive Antifa types and the BLM types who are, who are in favor of rioting and looting. And then we've got the cops and the rest of America is kind of stuck in the middle between these two groups. And you don't have to take a side, but you do have to stand up. You know, you have to stand up because if you don't, one of the two sides is going to win and it's just going to get worse. Do you think it changes the argument at all, Paul, that uh, came out that the organizers for Black Lives Matter, they said that they're trained Marxists, and they said it on camera. And I think that's going to turn off even some people that are are sympathetic, let's say from the right, that a lot of people are going to hear that and say, well, the hell with this. I don't want anything to do with you because that's diametrically opposed to what I believe in. I mean, that's literally more big government. I mean, it doesn't get any bigger. Right. Um, that's, That's a big problem. But you have to understand, too, if you do your homework on BLM, you'll find out that uh, there's 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 two or three groups. Right. And all these groups are being consolidated under a single group. And that single group is the Marxist group. Like they've actually taken other BLM groups off who started before this Marxist group because they said they're imitating them. Uh, Randy, what do you have? You, you you went deep on something not too long ago, and you were talking to me about it, and I would like to hear what you have to say, and let's see what uh, Anarchy Ball has to say. Oh, man. Uh, which thing are you talking about? I feel like I kind of spout off a lot of stuff sometimes. Oh, about the kids. <laughs> about the kids. The children. Oh, oh, like the missing migrant children? Uh, no, the, the, the black kids that the cops can't find. Oh, um... Okay, so I think it, I can't even remember what city that was in. Hold on, I think I took a screenshot of it because I guess they were getting pulled down all over the place. Um, yeah, let's see. Is it the ones in DC or it's, is it the group from Atlanta? Uh, no, it's from Milwaukee, actually. Okay. So allegedly, um, like I've been seeing this. I saw it on Reddit, Twitter, Facebook, but I haven't seen any actual. Uh, I guess what most people would call like reliable news sources say anything about it. So I don't actually know how true any of this is, but it keeps popping up and people are talking about it. And every time somebody tries to like find out more about it, it just kind of turns into a dead end. But basically uh, there was this house in Milwaukee that I guess like a registered sex offender lives there. And there were a couple, I think they were young girls from the neighborhood that went missing and the police were called and they kind of like gave a lead toward this house and wanted them to go check it out. And the police weren't helpful at all. So literally a, a group of parents from the neighborhood organized and basically broke into this guy's house. And the police were already there, said they couldn't find anything. 
they said they found children's clothing coated in blood and then uh people inside the house started shooting the cops came back and then they started uh according to this they started escorting traffickers out the back while hiding their faces so their identities wouldn't be revealed and then uh, a couple children actually were able to escape from wherever they were being held and they were reunited with their families but nobody has any clear story on it and then the house that they originally busted into to find these kids just burned down mysteriously nobody knows how it happened imagine uh, that i guess reports said that angry mobs burned it down but so that's about all the information i have on that and if anybody else has anything they could find on it it would be greatly appreciated well that's that's kind of interesting it's not very uncommon either i mean we've got the case of uh, bill gates's it guy who was at his house at bill gates's house and he got uh, arrested for having uh, like terabytes of child porn on his computer, right? Really? And he was working for Bill Gates at the time. And for some reason, uh, the cops just let him go. They said, oh, it was all a big misunderstanding or something. Well, obviously. Yeah, there must Bill be Gates a pretty it. big misunderstanding. I don't understand any of that. <laughs> yeah. Well, if you look it up, you look up uh, Bill Gates. Uh, child porn IT director and you, the story should pop up it was a very small Seattle Times you know sort of like a throwaway story that people don't want to talk about but then you got to realize well this guy was with Jeffrey Epstein right <laughs> this guy has flown on the Lolita Express he's done all of this stuff with all of these elite guys and apparently there's a child porn issue at his house like this is getting I don't very really believe strange. in coincidences, but well, at that point there is no coincidence. It's yeah, all part like of the all... same thing. Oh man. And you know, what if what if these terabytes of information were actually used against, let's say, oh, I don't know, health officials? Right? <laughs> so he's he's got blackmail material on health officials who might have visited the Lolita Island, uh, little St. James. So when you've got a big pandemic, something that rivals the flu in terms of deaths, you can now blackmail the health officials from around the world into shutting down their economy and going with your vaccinations. I don't know, something like that. I mean, let's face it. We know Epstein was a intelligence operation, and we know that uh, both he and uh, Bill Gates are eugenics lovers. So when we tell people that uh, the world is run by uh, pedophiles and the cops enforce laws that are written by pedophiles, it's not just us trying to be assholes. That's actually what we believe, and that's probably what's going on. Uh, let's pick up where the boogaloo. Where we, I, I wanted to ask you specifically about that because you seem to uh, to know either know folks that are in, or I know that Randy and I do know people that are associated with the movement, and all of us have agreed that nobody knows any racist fuckers that are in that group, whether you like them or not. It has nothing to do with how you feel about them. But this is not a movement filled with... In fact, one of the prerequisites, I would say, is that you can't have any kind of racist feelings like this because your enemy is the state. So how is this happening? How are they able to control this narrative to, act, to have people questioning, you know, oh, these people are, are actually neo-Nazis or they're white supremacists, when it's literally the furthest thing from the truth? Well, it's uh, again, it's the Southern Poverty Law Center and the Southern Poverty Law Center. Anything they say gets copied and pasted by a million blue check marks writing their own 
uh, copy and pasted articles from other sources. Bellingcat wrote an article, too, and they referenced the Southern Poverty Law Center. Now, Bellingcat was an organization that advocated for, uh, well, it, it, it wrote articles about how the people talking about the whistleblowers who were talking about how there was no Syrian gas attack. Uh, I don't know if you guys remember that. Yeah. But there were a bunch of whistleblowers that came out from this uh, U.N. organization. They said, look, they're, they're fabricating evidence. None of this stuff exists. Bellingcat was one of the ones who debunked that. So they wanted uh, brown people to be bombed in Syria. But suddenly they're now the uh, authorities on who is or is not a white supremacist. It's kind of interesting to me because, you know, they want to kill brown people while at the same time telling the rest of the world that, you know, these Boogaloo boys who have actually helped stop the police aggression in many cases because they show up armed, show up ready to show the cops that, hey, if you try anything like that here, we're ready to return fire. Well, that that stops protesters from getting hit and it stops the crowds from getting unruly. And now they're being blamed as white supremacists. It's. It's very convenient, and obviously none of these blue checks do any research on their own. You'll see these copy-pasted articles, but you won't see any interviews because they're not actually interested in the truth at all. But it works like a charm on all these liberals. I don't understand how that happens. But at the same time, there's a meta meme going on, right? So I'll get like 30 or 40 of these uh, liberal you know, cucks coming onto the page talking about how you guys are just you know, trying to keep your enemies closer or whatever, that they have some really convoluted logic there. You know, putting our lives out online in front of these rabid cops is somehow, you know, uh, all a faint so that we can betray them later on or something like that, you know? Anyways, so they'll come on now. I'll be like, well, yeah, whatever you want to believe, but isn't that a good indicator that it's time to buy a gun? So the meta meme is, hey, let's, let's scare the liberals into buying guns. Yeah. <laughs> really? If they believe these stories, then it's time to buy a weapon. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. They're flying right. off the shelves, that's for sure. Yes, they so, are. So, you know, there's really no way for them to win on this one because either either we are white supremacists, which we're not, and uh, we show up to these rallies, therefore you should buy a gun, or the cops are a bunch of rabid racist animals and they should probably buy a gun. <laughs> right. So the meta meme, I think, is more important than, you know, any sort of boogaloo movement as as it stands right now. But what I've seen from the people I know and from the videos I've watched and the people who have contacted me is that they have a serious, uh, a serious nonviolent impact wherever they go. Like, for instance, in, in San Antonio, there was a bunch of uh Boogaloo boys and uh, standing in front of police at the Alamo. Now, what's significant about that is they weren't trying to protect the police as much as they were trying to protect the monument. Sure. And they didn't get physical with any of the BLM protesters and ended up rendering aid to a few of them when people got hit by uh, uh, thrown objects and things like that. So they're rendering aid to the crowd as they're standing in front of this monument. And then the cops decide to attack all of them. Very, very interesting. So people are like, look, this video proves that they were working with the cops. No, they were trying to protect the Alamo. The cops attacked the entire crowd. So it becomes at that point like, well, you know, who's doing what? Right. Is it the cops who are bad? Yes. Is it the Boogaloo boys who have done things that are bad? Well, some of them. 
like there's this case out in uh, California, the guy who went, went around shooting, I guess, cops and blowing things up. And, you know, I don't know if he's a boogaloo boy or not. It's got all the hallmark uh, characteristics of, you know, being a federal operation. The whole thing could be made up. These identities might not even exist in the first place. And they're just putting that out there so that they can go after people like uh, uh, the, the boogaloo boy in Dallas who, who got swiped up for selling uh what was it he was selling steroids last year and so they're charging him with selling steroids while they're printing articles about him like he's a white violent white supremacist which is not the case at all he was marching with blm now they didn't seem to care quite so much when the same people the same crowd was marching on michigan to reopen the state when you know whitmer was a big problem but the second they start to cross that racial barrier, right, the second they start to go into uh, BLM protests and protect protesters as well as teach people about the importance of the Second Amendment, well, when they do that, they become white supremacist terrorists somehow. Right. It, and I think it's very telling. It's a means of division, like ultimately. Like anytime you bring up something like race or you know, anything like that. Like, it's just a means to keep a, keep us serfs divided. Yeah. And it's really easy. Like, the second that gets out, the wind catches it. It's like, oh, right. for most people, it's like, oh, you're done. Like, there's no right. way. You now have to divert all of the energy you were focusing on your goal to now just damage control. And I think that's like, I mean, it's a good tactic. It's definitely working because there's a lot of people out there that are convinced that it's literally just like the KKK running around with guns. And I have to like I, I have friends from high school that they're like, well, you seem to post a bunch of stuff about it. Like, are you like a racist? And I'm like, no, like absolutely not. And I basically <laughs> I have to track weird down conclusion to come to. Yeah. Like all like, and they're like, I don't like the. They're like, I don't like that you're associated with this. And it's like this is all the news that's coming out about them. And it's like it, all of this is false. Like I wish I could break it down for you, but it's like people have to be willing to listen as well. And most of the time they just hear what they want to hear. But yeah, it's a real, uh, it's a real pain in the ass. Well, strangely enough, I've found that the most receptive people to this are people who come from the left, who have a memory longer than a goldfish, who remember the, uh, <laughs> uh, the Iraq war when CNN was lying to everybody to get them into an invasion. So they still have a distrust for CNN. They still have a distrust for most mainstream outlets. So all you have to do is break it down for them and, and get them to understand that uh, armed protest is a technique, right? It's a technique that raises the stakes for the cops again so the cops don't feel like they can fire indiscriminately into crowds using less lethal weapons. Because once those stakes are raised back up again, once they're afraid then the entire rally becomes more peaceful, right? Mm -hmm. Once they disrupt the self-policing potential from these crowds, that's when you get looting. That's when you get violence. That's when you get people burning down stores and crashing open windows. Like if you look at the, uh, the, uh, the protests out in front of the third precinct in Minneapolis, you'll notice the day after is when all the looting and the, and the, you know, all the stuff happened around the police station because the police station was fully protected by cops at that point, right? So all they had to do is start to aggravate the crowds, 
give the crowds no uh, no place to take their aggression out on the cops who are responsible for this stuff. And then the aggression spreads throughout the community, right? So the harder the target, the more difficult it is for the crowd to divert their aggression around, you know, the real target. So the Boogaloo boys who went out there, they started with the with the crowd that was attacking the third precinct, and that's what they were there for. They were there to provide security for the crowds as they were attacking the third precinct, right? Mm-hmm. And then once the uh, the violent mob turned into looters, that's when they went over and they protected the businesses. Now they right. weren't saying your cause is you know worthless. All they were doing is trying to protect as much area as possible, well, right? And, I do you know, think it's funny. Oh, sorry. No, go ahead. Uh, I do think it's funny that there were some headlines. I think it was in Minneapolis. There were people that were armed standing in front of storefronts. And there was one picture, the full shot. It was four people, two white men and two black men standing in front of, uh, I can't remember if it was a bar. What it was isn't important. But that picture got cropped. And then everywhere, what you saw was two white men standing in front of the building with weapons. And no one was circulating the full picture. You had to dig real deep for it. And it's like, that had to have been done intentionally. Oh, absolutely. 100%. Those, those same guys showed up to the George Floyd protest, right? They were there so that, you know, they could provide security for those crowds as they were attacking the police departments because the police department absolutely should have been, you know, dissolved at that point. But it took, you know, riots and, you know, firebombs and all the rest of it to get the, you know, the mayor to realize these cops have got to go, the entire department, right? Now, we could talk about defund the police and abolish the police, but I think, uh, you know, that kind of attitude, I think, is healthy, right? Like, if we leave that up, those decisions up to the Marxist, it's not going to get any better. But if we get involved and we actually start making headway with the, with the crowds ourselves without you know, having a middleman of the mainstream media or talking heads or, or podcasters or any of the rest of the people who will have no effect on these crowds, you start actually engaging them, start showing them the, the value in, in private property and private policing and all the rest of the stuff. Talk about Dale Brown, you know, drop that name because that's a very important name to these people because that's the way out of the situation, right? We have solutions, but we have to be there and talk with the people who are upset so that these solutions get passed on down the line, right? We have to stay involved and engaged. Otherwise, the Marxists win by default. I do have a question for um, the entire group. Have you guys heard about this George Floyd killing uh, not actually being him, that he was killed like 20 years previously or something like that? And then there's pictures (laughs) of the cop who like kneeled on his neck and then the uh, pictures of the cop like after he has been arrested and it looks like two totally different people. Have you guys seen this no. going on? On I, I haven't seen that one, but I've seen so many different like ridiculous conspiracy theories involving that. So, I mean, I'm sure a lot of that all stems from some of the same sources. I didn't see anything about George Floyd being killed that long ago, but I did see a couple shots where it's like people are saying the cop from the footage and then the person they actually had in custody were not the same. And that's it. No like story to it or anything. It was literally just like side by side photos. And then I have no idea where those went. 
Well, I, I've polluted my brain with a lot of podcasts and uh, from <laughs> or, um, from conspiracy theorists about this. And they, you know, they they started pointing at the uh, the paramedics and saying, "Those aren't paramedics; those are cops." But if you look up the, you know, Minneapolis paramedic uniform, they look like state troopers wearing the the brown and and you know outfits, and they do wear you know bulletproof vests sometimes. And what they didn't do though is they didn't check his his vitals before rolling him over like a slab of meat and putting him into the truck, which I think is kind of out of character. It happens. But they have to know the guy is dead, and they didn't have any triage whatsoever. And I doubt Derek Siobhan was radioing in, hey, this guy's dead, you know, because, you know, he wasn't even looking at the guy. He was looking at the people who were watching him murder the guy. So I don't know if he's dead or alive, but I think there's a much, much bigger overarching, uh, I guess, spiritual battle at play, right? I mean, you've got this guy sitting on this this helpless man's throat as the life is draining out of him. Now, if you look at some of the images from history about that same idea, like for instance, look at the, uh, look at the Virginia flag, for instance, like symbolic representations of this type of activity are everywhere. If you look at Kali, for instance, Kali is standing on a man's chest as he's slowly having the life drained out of him. The, you know, it's this idea of, of absolute power and destructive, you know, unstoppable destructive force, right? That's that's the idea. It's like you're just being squeezed and there's nothing you can do about it. Yeah. I think that's what got everybody's attention is this is this evil person as he's standing there, not even looking at his victim, not even trying to do anything to prevent it. Like most of the times when when cops, you know, will shoot some guy, they'll at least put on the show like they're trying to save his life afterwards, you know, not in this case, in this case, it was pure undiluted evil. Right. And that same sort of idea is repeating throughout history in a lot of other forms. I think that's something interesting to remember because like this got everybody's attention and everybody was on George's floor, George Floyd's side until they started rioting. Everybody was saying, this is too much. It was like, there was a, archetypal connection with the entire populace. It was like, this is too much. Like, especially that video that was shared had to be fast forwarded because people couldn't sit through that watching the life drain out of this man's eyes. Yeah. I still yeah, haven't almost nine I, minutes. Yeah. I yeah. still haven't watched that video. I, I just, I refuse to watch it. I can't, I, there's only so many videos I can watch of cops murdering people um, that right. I can take in, in any given time. And that one, I just was like, you know what, dude? Like, I'm skipping it. Like, I can't watch it. Right. And when you know what else was brutal to watch was that that pig that murdered, uh, what was his name, Daniel Shaver? Yeah, yeah. that was yeah. a real bad one. That's dude, one of that the worst was, ones. Yeah, that was like, like between that and George Floyd, like I think both of those videos are like, at least in, you know, recent history or two, like, the worst examples of like things that are like hard to sit there and watch, especially like, like, like I said, like not to divert away from George Floyd, but like that Daniel Shaver video with that cop, just like barking orders at this dude that's on his knees crying and begging for his life. And like the dude had gym shorts on and like, I've seen so many bootlickers that like 
want to try and justify the cop shooting him. Like, oh, well, he clearly reached for his waistband. He had fucking basketball shorts on. If he would have had a gun in those shorts, it would have fell out a long fucking time ago in that video. So if that cop honestly thought that this drunk, crying dude begging for his life was reaching for a gun in his goddamn gym shorts, like, you're a, you're a, you're a lunatic. You're, you're an absolute psychopath. Well, it worked out pretty well for that cop. He uh, he's collecting disability uh, payments for having PTSD from yeah, murdering yeah. a man. Yeah, oh, and he's also right. working as a cop. Yeah, he's... which is bullshit. Like they brought that dude back and hired him back just long enough so that he could get those benefits too. Yeah, and and he quit there. He retired there, and then he went to work as a cop, the county over. So he's still on the force. That guy's still out there primed and ready to kill the next person down the line. Uh, it's like <laughs> when they find priests that are molesting children and they just send them to a different church. That's a good one. That's a good right. comparison. That's, That's what's a, yeah. going on. And you have to look at the police union as if they are the Catholic church. And if you know, it's even scarier than that is if you look at the molestation rates inside of the public school system and how the teachers union tries to protect those child molesters and get them other positions and try to take them out of the situation and still give them, you know, their full benefits. It's, it's insane what we have to put up with. And I think it, it all goes back to the perversion of the fraternalist union movement, you know, because originally in the 1910s, we had a very robust fraternal movement. You could get uh, healthcare coverage for a year for a day's worth of labor. Right. And they had, you know, purchasing power and at the height of the fraternal union movement, you had uh, over a third of the country and most of them poor people who were able to afford these things that now we're paying out the ass for. We can't even afford private insurance, you know, heavily regulated private insurance for. And uh, it's very interesting to, sh- to see how because the, the socialists came over uh, shortly after rise of the Soviet Union in the 1910s, and they tried to take over American unions so that they could get their um, their revolution in America as well. Well, as they're doing that, uh, it, it becomes clear to the socialists that these, these uh, fraternalist unions in America wanted nothing to do with them. They just wanted to negotiate and get the right you know, amount of pay for their work, and, and they wanted to negotiate and get back to work. They had a high work ethic. And these uh, socialist union organizers called these people uh, uh, little fascists because they didn't want to work with these socialists. Well, they did find a foothold. These, uh, these union organizers that came from the socialist tradition, they did find a foothold, and they found a foothold in state unions. And that's sort of where they've stayed ever since. These are the agitators. These are the people, like the private unions are basically at the beck and call of all of the, the, the public unions. Public sector unions basically control the whole thing. They funnel more money than any other group into election campaigns, and barely anyone's a member anymore. So you have to ask yourself, where is this money coming from? Where, where's this control coming from? And it comes from the fact that even private sector unions don't want to work with these socialists as much as these socialists want to take direct control over the apparatus of state power. You know, I mean, if you're a, if you're a public union member, you basically have triple or quadruple voting rights because you can go on strike and make that politician's life very difficult. You know? So, you know, public sector unions and the Socialist Party of America are very, very closely, closely linked. And I think uh, maybe 
a little bit more fraternal pushback for that sort of thing would be in order. But as it is now, I don't think we're going to get any. Like socialism is, is basically the bedrock of Americanism and nobody can tell the difference between Americanism and socialism anymore. I want to ask you something about uh, when we talked about, you said like, you know, when people have to start making up their mind when, you know, it's going to be okay or when they should be able to shoot a cop or something like that. And then we talked about, you know, the molestation in the, of the kids and the trafficking of children and stuff. A lot of problems that I have, I have personally, but also I know other people who really do try to adhere to the non-aggression principle. And I want to put the question to you because Randy and I have talked about it before. Um, how do you feel about, like, like for example, the death penalty? You hear a lot of people say, well, like, I have a fine line, for example. I can, you know, I can get past a lot of stuff, but when it comes to rape and when it comes to, like, you know, putting your hands on children, for example, that's when I have a real hard time saying, yes, you still have to adhere to the non-aggression principle. What, in your opinion, is something that you could justify meeting violence with violence? Well, um, I think... Primarily, it's 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 situational based off of how um, how the threat is coming at you, right? If you're if you're being met with deadly violence, then obviously open up with deadly violence. But when it comes to stuff like pedophilia and uh, rape and these things, and the person is contrite and trying to work with you, it by killing them, you only make them you know that much stronger right because they become the victim at that point if if at any time you're trying to get justice by making more victims you will not succeed that won't be viewed as justice by the wider population it just won't but at the same time you have to realize there is no scenario whatsoever where you will be justified in the public's mind uh by shooting a cop right you'll have at least 48 hours of uh, wall-to-wall news coverage demonizing you, or they'll ignore it entirely, right? If you justifiably shoot a cop, they will bury you under the prison and destroy your family. <coughs> but at, at a certain point, you have to wonder if that, if that meeting that force with force is worth it, right? Or do you just let them destroy and take your family away from you? Yeah, that's the difficulty of the situation. That's why I wanted to get your take on it. Uh, and my, my biggest question to you is, like, how do you see all this playing out with the police state? And what do you think is the greatest enemy of the liberty movement as it stands? Um, I, it's really hard to tell. We're, in a, we're at a point in transition in society right now. And we don't exactly know what's on the other side of the veil, right? We've got this big curtain up in front of us, and we've seen how the curtain was constructed, but we have no idea what's waiting behind it. We've got the Marxist, trained Marxist. Does anybody else find that phrase really interesting, trained Marxist? I thought Marxism was a philosophy. I didn't know it was a, a practical training course. That's a great point. Right. Like, what, what does that mean? If, if it's not Marxist-Leninism, which is Bolshevism, what what exactly were they talking about? Because she said specifically trained Marxists. It sounds like uh, it's using uh, techniques, uh, rhetorical techniques, to rile people up towards violence, you know, saying all but what you want them to do. Okay. Which, all right. you know, I, I can see that. But at the same time, we've also got this, you know, panopticon uh, 
surveillance police state coming down on everyone using COVID-19 as the excuse, right? And I could see certain conflicts between the COVID-19 crowd and the, the Marxists who are trying to co-opt this movement, you know, butting heads. But at the same time, there was no disagreement whatsoever. Like once they hit the streets and started rioting and started protesting, started looting, they had the entire deep state bureaucratic apparatus on their side, like immediately. So uh, it could be multiple things behind this curtain that we're looking at, right? But you know, we're ne- we're never going to know until something. We're looking. We're waiting for the antithesis right now because right, you sure. know the the formula, the thesis, antithesis, and then synthesis. So right now we're waiting on that antithesis to sort of bring about the synthesis. Right. Well, I guess that uh, we'll have to wait and see what happens, I suppose. Right. But it's definitely going to play out along those lines. There might be a third or fourth crisis coming. And I think we all know there's going to be an October surprise. That's that's. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's for sure. Guaranteed. Like, yeah. Nobody is in doubt of that. And for some reason, that that is the most significant thing in my mind. Right. Nobody is in doubt that there will be an October surprise, but nobody seems to want to point the fingers at the responsible party. We all know there are factions within the government, within the deep state, within uh, corporations who have a vested interest in every one of these moves. And everybody instinctually knows the next moves that they're going to be making. And I think that's that's a victory in and of itself. You know, we've identified the party. You know, before they were operating from the shadows, but right now, there's there's no doubt about it. I mean, whether it's Lindsey Graham or or uh, Nancy Pelosi, we know who's behind it. It's the people who have been behind it all these years. And you know, these could be the last gasps of power, but I I, I doubt that fully because Donald Trump is anything but effective. Yeah, I think so. those are all good points. Now. Uh... You saw what happened with now. Chris is correcting me. I called it Chaz, but apparently they've moved on to Chop. I'm not sure uh, what the what. I can't even keep up with the acronyms anymore. And I saw a joke that was that they went through the full cycle of communism, right? Like they took over, and then they started running out of food, and then they closed their borders, and then they started killing their own members, and now it's all <laughs> falling apart. So it like went through the full cycle. Like, did you see any of that? Do you think that that's going to be popping up in other larger cities, or do you think that this has shown demonstrably that it was a poor, poor idea? Well. You know, when it comes to the Chaz and their little communist utopia, I think uh, one of the main elements that we're seeing now is the the idea of the conflict between the CHOP and the Chaz, right? And if you break down what these two mean, one is the autonomous zone, and the other one is the uh, organized protest. Now, the organized protest sounds like they're willing to make concessions, but the autonomous zone sounds like they're ready to resist. Right. Right. Resist with the force of arms. So at this point, I think um, the over narrativization of it, because let's face it, there, there weren't any more deaths than in any major city in America in, inside the Chaz. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> right. There weren't any more deaths. There weren't any more emergencies than what usually play out. The only difference is uh, they denied uh, access by the cops and said the paramedics can come in, but the cops can't do it. So the cops said, all right, well, 
since we're not going to clear the area, we're going to let this guy bleed out and die. We're going to order the, the paramedics not to go in there, which I think is a very valuable lesson to anarchists everywhere. Uh, you, once you have uh, said, I don't want the state, and you're actually putting actions to back up uh, what you're saying, they will be petty and dictatorial in every way possible, right? They will watch you bleed out and die. And you know all those memes about Ancap Ball, how, you know, well, he would have coverage, but he, he didn't pay enough Bitcoins to upgrade. Well, unfortunately, that's actually playing out in the reverse. That's the state. The state doesn't take care of anyone who rejects even the slightest amount of control, right? Yeah. If you reject any of their monopoly, you're screwed. You are shit out of luck. They will watch you bleed out and die. And the people on, on Twitter who love the state will spit on your corpse. Right? That's where we're at. I, I want a lot of people to, to recognize that. Now, in terms of like uh, the effectiveness of the Chaz, I think you know it was set up by city council members, right? Like this wasn't this wasn't random. It happened because there are a bunch of leftist city council members who are probably pissed off with the uh, leadership because they're not left enough. That's the only reason why a leftist ever gets pissed off enough to do anything is when. The leadership that they elected isn't left enough. <laughs> right? Well, they were pissed off that the mayor and, you know, her police aren't left enough. So the, the mayor sort of takes a big L once this uh, predominantly upper class gay neighborhood gets uh, uh, blocked off. And I think she pulled the police out. Right? So it's very important to note that all of this was coordinated through the city council. So that's uh, hardly an anarchist thing. At this point, it's just a leftist thing, like an amalgam of all sorts of leftist ideas. They got their but, permission slip signed for it. Right. And so, <laughs> you know, with that permission slip, they've been able to do a lot of humiliate, humiliating of themselves. And I've got my own little conspiracy theory about why we have such a cohesive narrative. Like, you know, the very first thing that happened is they get a warlord and what's the very first thing the statists <laughs> always tell us anarchists is, oh, they're going to be warlords. Yep. Now, what exactly did he do? He beat somebody up for vandalizing one of the businesses in the area. So let's compare that to the police. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So if he's a warlord, I guess that would make every cop a Nazi, right? Just to compare the two. Sure. But I think, you know, a uh, black man with a big scary gun is all it takes for conservative America to turn off their brain and start goose-stepping. Yeah, that's a great point, man. They did it with Reagan, didn't they, when the Black Panthers marched? Oh, hell yeah. Yeah. When he was governor of California, he, he passed uh, more gun control acts because a black man with a big scary gun uh, started marching on the Capitol building. Now, you know, all these... Uh, all these uh, liberals on Twitter are half right when it comes to uh, uh, the, the difference between a black man with a gun and a white man with a gun. They think whiteness is the body armor that it takes, when actually the cops don't want to get shot. But the legislators see a black man with a the gun, they're going to pass more gun control measures, right? The things that they're in favor of. Kind of interesting. Which side are they siding with by having all of these gun control measures, if not the racists who want to take guns out of the hands of black men. Right. Yeah. It's, a, it's like Maj Touré says, man, all, all gun control is racist. 
Exactly. 100%. It's, it's, it's all, all the gun control is born out of a reaction to, you know, black man with a gun or, you know, school shooter. Wow, that one was close. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I, like, I'm hearing all these random noises, like birds chirping, and then all of a sudden you hear, like, thunder and, and rain, and then you're like, hmm, you usually don't hear birds chirping when it's thundering. Did you hear, did anybody else hear birds chirping? Yeah, yeah, okay. I did. But that one got, that that particular one was sounding mighty close to you, dude. It was. Yeah, it's, it's, it's always something. Whenever I do recordings, the, I think there's a conspiracy in nature to where I can't get good audio. <laughs> They're controlling the weather. Yeah, they, this is harp, right? Yes, yeah, George Bush's weather machine. Weather machine. <laughs> oh, and those birds you heard chirping, birds aren't real. No, no, they're not. Yeah, is that yeah, sort of like space things. isn't real, or am I missing something? No, we can't. We don't have enough time to go into flat Earth. We're not doing that here ever. Oh man, no. No, no. There was there was a, a funny meme about how the birds aren't real. They're actually just government spy drones. Oh, that's funny. And so, if, if you pay real close attention, you could see the uh, NSA operators changing the battery batteries on yeah, all that's birds. Yeah, that's why. That's real. why we got locked inside so they could go do that. Right, exactly. They had to switch out the batteries. Like, they don't even need to use birds as drones. They'll just use their own drone. They're so damn blatant. Like, they got to disguise it or something. Like, they'll just use your fucking phone. Like, they don't give a shit, you know? You carry around your own spy drone. Right, exactly. That's it. it. Uh, I'm going to throw it out to the group. I I got all of my questions checkmarked because I write everything out because I need an outline. Otherwise, I'll fucking lose my place. So uh, I'm 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 good to go. I uh, I'll throw it out to the group. If anybody else has any questions or wants to talk about anything else, uh, please uh, have at it. I don't have anything else. I was just uh, you know enjoying the conversation in general. Um, I learned a lot of different things, and I appreciate uh, Ball for coming on the show and talking with us and providing us with entertainment for the evening. Yeah, really. Thanks for coming on yeah, the show, man. We definitely appreciate it. Yeah, for Thank sure. Thank you for having me. Yeah. If I could uh, make a couple of plugs, if you go on uh, Facebook and look up Anarchy Ball OG, you'll find a bunch of comics there, which are pretty great. All and right. I'm also on Twitter as not Anarchy Ball because I got canceled. And uh, <laughs> if you go to Instagram, I am Real Anarchy Ball on there. So. If you want to check those out, this weekend should be pretty epic if you follow my Instagram. I plan on doing a couple of events down in Baltimore again. So check that out on Saturday. Uh, just keep an eye out. Maybe put the notifications on. And uh, this was great fun. I'm glad you guys had me on. Well, we were glad to have you. Thank you very much for coming on. Um... I guess uh, if everybody's uh, all done, I guess we'll wrap it up again. We appreciate you, and we'll put everything in the show notes for people to find you. Uh, we are at Use Guys Pod across Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. You can find us on Anchor FM, iTunes, Podbean, iHeartRadio, Google Podcast, and a few other platforms. And uh, from Angel, the Sound Girl, Randy, the Rand, the Man, and Chris, the Bloodletting. This is Jay Colo. Thanks everybody for listening. If you can, hit us, give us a like, give us a review, and uh, share and subscribe to the show. We'd really appreciate everybody's support. Thank you very much. But uh, thanks again, Paul. We appreciate it, and we'll hope to talk to you again. Thank you. Great talking to you guys. Peace. Bye. Later. 
Shoe Cat.